Um, but this morning, we are looking at the parable of the sower. And this it appears in Matthew, it appears in Mark, and it appears in Luke. We'll be looking at the account in Luke, Luke 8 specifically. Um, this is really a fascinating example. There are a couple ways that you see Jesus teaching his disciples in this parable, and he places a great deal of importance on this parable. In the passage in Mark, Jesus actually says that this parable is essential to understanding the kingdom of God. And so we're going to make sure that we understand the parable of the sower. Uh, we'll be reading in Luke 8, but before we open God's word, please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how good you are to us. We thank you that you have extended the invitation to join in your kingdom advancing work. What a privilege and what an honor that is that you allow us to take part. And Jesus, as we prepare to look at your word, we ask that you would teach us. Father, we ask for understanding. We ask that you would open our eyes to see, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand your word, that we might know it, that we might know you, that we might love you deeper, that we might follow you closer as your disciple, as we learn how to imitate you and to live as you did. Please teach us in this time. We trust you with everything. We trust you with these next moments, knowing that you work all things for your glory, and we are so grateful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in Luke 8, starting in verse 4, and verses 4 through 15, Luke 8. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience." And before we get into, so that's the parable of the sower. Jesus gives the parable. They ask, okay, what's the purpose of this? And Jesus says, he says something that before we get into the parable of the sower and looking at the sower and looking at the soils, did you catch what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, to you it has been given to know. And I think that is such an incredible truth that Jesus presents to his disciples in this moment that he presents to the crowds. He says, to you it has been given to know. 
And my first question for you all today, church, is do you understand understanding? Because I think sometimes there's a very dangerous trap we fall into that we take understanding for granted. And we assume that it is our right. And that, oh, anytime I open it, I will understand. Anytime I open God's word, I will understand everything automatically. And Jesus makes a point of telling his disciples, no, to you it has been given the gift to know. Understanding God's word is a privilege. It is not something that I can just demand because of how great I am. It is God demonstrating his love and allowing me to comprehend his truth. And I think this is something that we frequently overlook because we just take it, oh, well, I'll understand. But Jesus says, no, this is a gift. It has been given to you to know and to understand. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. My question, church, is do we ask for understanding? Or have we taken it for granted? Have we assumed that we will understand, that we will know? Or do we begin our time before the Lord with an earnest plea of, Father, teach me to understand? And I think sometimes there's a fear of that. Let's be honest. I'll be honest. At times in my life, there has been a fear of deeper understanding. Because what if I understand and it means I was wrong before? What if I understand deeper and it means I now have to adjust my behavior? I don't know if I always want to understand deeper. I'm comfortable with a shallow level of understanding that makes me feel good about myself. So there are times in my own life when I've been afraid to ask, God, teach me to really understand this. But Jesus says this is a gift that is given to you. James 1.5 says if we lack, ask. My challenge for you today, church, and this is not just about this parable, but it's included in this parable, which is why we're talking about it. But every time you approach the Lord, Please begin with an earnest, honest, simple prayer of God. Teach me. Teach me to understand what I'm about to read. Teach me to understand what you are saying, even if it means I have to adjust my life in light of it. Because this is a gift that has been given to us by the Father. And then we have the parable of the actual sower. Then we get to the actual sower. And the first person we're introduced to in this parable is the sower himself. And what do we learn about? What do we learn about this, this parable? This is a parable about the kingdom of God. The seed is the word of the gospel of God's kingdom. It's the word of God is the seed. So what do we learn about the sower? Well, what does it say about him? It says, as he sowed, some went. Some went on the path. Some went on the rocky, sandy soil. Some went in the wild, thorny soil. Some went on the good soil. See, the fields back there, it would have been much more in close with every other part of that area. So you would have had paths going right through the fields or butting up right against the fields. And as the paths trickled down into the fertile soil, you would have had some rocky, sandy soil in the in-between. And the fields would have bumped up against the wild on the other side where you had the thorns and the overgrowth. And because the seed is landing on all these places, what does it tell us about the sower? Is the sower sprinkling very carefully right in front of him as he walks, very deliberately dropping it in one specific place? No, if it's hitting this wide range, this guy's casting the seed out. He's throwing out handfuls of it. The gospel is meant to be shared widely. 
The gospel is not, I said this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the idea of Jesus and culture, right? We looked at how Christ interacted with culture. And I said one of the most tragic mistakes that Christians can make is to remove themselves entirely from culture. And if you remember the sermon a few weeks ago, I asked, if you are only talking to other believers, if you are only engaging with other believers, who in the world are you witnessing to? If you're refusing to engage with the unbelieving world around you, who in the world are you witnessing to? If the farmer is walking his field and is only deliberately dropping the seed in front of him, well, how's the seed winding up on the path? How is the seed winding up on the rocky soil? How is the seed winding up on the thorny soil if he is not casting it out widely? The gospel is meant to be shared widely. Because here's the thing. Yeah, but Sam, the seed didn't take on any of those other soils. Isn't that a waste? Well, guess what? It's not the sower's job to do the growing. What do we see? Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but God gave the growth. Your job is not to determine what seed is going to grow. Boom, took it off your plate. If you were worried about, well, what if the seed doesn't grow? That's not your responsibility. I don't have to worry about it that day. Man, we just cross something off your list. List of stress. It's God's responsibility to do the growing. God transforms the heart. Our job is to sow the seed. Our job is not to deliberate. I think that coworker, he'd probably be more of a rock-hard path. I'm not going to spend my time spreading the gospel to him. Okay, she's a little closer, but she's still probably sandy soil. I'm not going to waste time with her. He, he's even closer, but I still see some thorns in his life. That's still a waste of time. You're the one person that I'll tell about Jesus because I think that's my best chance at success. Success is not dependent on you. You were never assigned the task of growing. We were assigned the task of spreading the good news of the kingdom of God. The sower does so widely and leaves the growth up to God. Church, are we farmers who sow the seed widely? Are we casting it out? I see myself in the sower and at times, I have fallen trapped to, well, I'm just going to find the good soil, and I'm going to focus just on that, because it's about my personal success rate. We should see ourselves in the sower, but we should also see ourselves in the soil. What did Jesus say as he explained the parable? He said these soils, they represent the type of people who hear the kingdom of God, or hear about the kingdom of God. They hear the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And the first type of soil he mentions is rocky soil. Other translations say sandy soil or soil with many pebbles. This is not ideal for planting. This is not ideal for where you're going to get a good yield. But what does that represent? The rocky places, they represent people who make, it says they had no root. There was no moisture. These are the people who make an emotional, superficial level commitment to Jesus. Right? I'm, I'm in it for the good stuff. I'm in it for the things that make me happy. I'm in it for the things that are easy. You guys always make fun of me for playing with Legos, but guess what we get to do this morning? The rocky soil is the people, well, I read my little three-word devotional every morning, and it's stuff that makes me feel good about myself. It's a little pick-me-up thought for the day. You're doing great. And, you know, I pray when I'm happy and when things are going well, and it makes me feel good. And I'm, you know, God's a God of joy. 
And, and I'm happy when I'm with my friends, when they don't need anything from me, when we can just build each other up. That makes me feel good. And, and my faith is just great. I love it. It's, look how tall I've grown. Look how well I'm doing. And then something difficult comes along, and what happens? Why did that? Yeah, the kids were so excited. I've never had that much attention from that age group before. Why did that happen? Because there was absolutely no base. There was absolutely nothing rooting that tower as it built up. That tower maybe looked good. It maybe felt good. That tower felt good about itself. Look how tall I've grown. Rocky soil represents people who it's all about the feel-good emotionalism. There's no depth to their commitment to Jesus. So the moment something comes along, the moment that diagnosis comes back positive, and you get that call from the doctor, the moment your boss lets you know that, hey, we're cutting your hours or we're cutting your position entirely. The moment the car breaks down for the 13th time, okay, well, God can't really be there. This is meaningless because the faith has no depth. The faith has no roots. It's entirely built in what makes me feel good. And the moment trials and tribulation comes along, the moment the need for sacrifice comes along, it collapses and it fails to grow. The seed fails to grow because it doesn't go down far at all. I think this is a year, I'm going to speak very bluntly, I think this is a year that has revealed a lot of rocky soil in the American church. This is a year that has revealed a lack of depth in the American church and in many American Christians. And we have to be willing to look at our own lives and say, how have I responded to this year? This, year, this certainly has been a year of many tribulations and difficulties. How have I personally responded to this? Has my response to this year revealed that I'm a little closer to rocky soil than I'd like to think? Church, we have to be willing to ask ourselves these hard questions. You have 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they, if, if they had been with us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are not of us. This is, he's writing about the early church, and he's writing about believers who the moment persecution starts to spring up for the church, the moment the church starts to ask something of them, hey, we expect you to serve, hey, we expect your life to look, the moment there is something required of them, peace, we're out. We don't want any part of that anymore. And he writes, they are not of us. They pretended like they were, but you saw for yourselves that they were not of us. John 8, 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Not if you temporarily engage with my word, not if you pull it out from time to time as a pick-me-up, if you abide in my word, if you stay. When things get difficult, if you stick around, you're my disciples. This is what Jesus said to the people who were listening. And in this parable, he describes it as rocky soil, which to a largely agrarian culture would have understood what he was getting at, that there's no substance, there's nothing anchoring the seeds, so there's not going to be any growth whatsoever. Then you have the seeds sown among thorns. And what this represents is, again, a superficial commitment without true repentance. We've talked about repentance in numerous sermons in this series. Quick one-sentence refresher. Repentance is rejecting and turning from. 
Repentance has nothing to do with the former behavior. It's a total abandonment of the prior life. The seeds in the thorny soil represent the people who are trying to have the commitment with Jesus without rejecting their former life. When I was a camp counselor, I really wanted to do this illustration as well, but I didn't think our trustees would appreciate if I tore this up and put in a pool. But when I was a camp counselor and we were out in the woods, we would take two canoes to the lake and we would put the canoes side by side and we would stand one foot in each canoe. And the water would drift the canoes further and further apart until eventually whoever was giving this talk fell in because you can't possibly keep both feet in canoes drifting in separate directions. This is what these types of people are, the foot in both camps. I want all the good of Jesus without giving up anything from my former life. I, I want both. I want heaven, but I don't want to actually adjust my behavior. I want rewards, but I don't want to actually do anything to earn those rewards. I, can I have it all? And again, we see this throughout Scripture. James 4, 1 through 4. What causes quarrels? He's writing to the church. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There's this internal conflict. You're being torn between two sides. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's about the heart. It's the heart that looks like it's doing the right thing by asking God, but the motivation is still clinging on to the sinful flesh and asking in the wrong motivations. You adulterous people... Listen to how strongly this is worded. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's a very problematic teaching going around in the church today that God has no enemies. That there are, that God has no enemies. You never have been. You never could be an enemy of God. Have you ever read the Bible? That's my simple question to anybody who tries to teach that. James lays it out. Look, if you want to hold on, if you want to keep your foot in this camp as friend with the world, you're never going to get to that camp no matter how far you stretch. If I go any further, I'm going to die. And if we try and do that, we're going to die. It's people who want both. They want it all. I want Jesus without repentance. It's why we've talked about repentance multiple times in this series, because that must mark the life of the believer. 1 John 2, 15-17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Quick time out. This is not be loving towards the world. The passage in James that says friendship with the world is enmity with God. You can't be friends with the world. You do not have permission to go to people who aren't believers and say, I can't be friends with you, I refuse to talk to you, and I will not love you because the Bible says otherwise. That's not what this is talking about. Friendship with the world is not being nice to non-believers. It is not being gracious and kind and gentle and merciful to non-believers. When it says, do not love the world, it's not saying, do not treat the world with love. It's saying the world cannot have your heart. Your heart cannot belong to the world. Friendship with the world is acceptance of worldly behaviors and trying to have it all without actually changing who you are and how you live. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Once again, you see that idea of abiding rooted in God. Matthew 19, 16 through 22. This is a story of someone who tried to keep a foot in both canoes. This is someone who wanted both. They wanted Jesus without turning from their former way of life. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And this isn't a passage where Jesus is demanding asceticism. Jesus isn't saying Christians have to live in a one-room, dirt-floor shack. They can't own anything. Jesus looked at this man's life, and he looked at this man's heart, and he realized that this man wanted two people, two things to sit on the throne. He wanted Jesus to be on the throne of his heart, but he didn't want to remove his personal wealth. He didn't want to remove his former life. He wanted both, and Jesus says, no, you don't get both. It's me or nothing. And this man went away sorrowful because he had a great many possessions that he was unwilling to turn from. Christians, how frequently do we struggle with this? Well, I, I want this, but I don't want to change. I, I mean, I talk to people and they say things like, well, you know, I want to serve more, okay, but I just, I don't have the time. What do you mean? Well, every night of the week is filled with my hobbies. Okay, well, then you're not going to serve more. If you're unwilling to cut something from your schedule to give it to God, then is the desire really there? I want to give more, but I spend too much money on this. Okay, well, then you're going to have to cut this if you want to do this. Well, I want to know the Bible more. Okay, well, then read it more. Well, but then I'd have to wake up earlier, or I'd have to stop watching Thursday night football, or I'd have to do the... Guys, how often has the American church found itself in this thorny soil where we're trying to have both? I want Jesus but I don't want to have to do anything differently. And what happens to these seeds? They may start to grow. You may get some growth, but ultimately they get choked out. Because if we are too preoccupied with the things of this world and the things of this life, if we are too distracted by this temporal reality, then we will miss out on the eternal reality of God's kingdom. This is what happens to seeds in thorny soil. But then you have the seeds in good soil. Then you have the seeds that land and they prosper and they bear fruit. And two points to make about these seeds. Note that they don't all bear fruit equally. In Luke, he just says they bear a hundredfold. In Matthew and Mark, they actually go into a little bit more detail in their accounts. And they say, and some seeds fell on good soil and they bore 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. Not all seeds bear fruit equally. Uh, who? Oh, man, what's... 
I think it's Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline. Don't, don't, I, I'm pretty sure it's Richard Foster, says in his book, when people come to him and they say, you know, Richard, I'm not Billy Graham, his response is, good, you were never meant to be. You're not meant to say, I can't engage in evangelism like that. I'm never going to have the kind of impact that Billy Graham did. Okay, who said you were supposed to? Maybe Billy Graham was a seed that was going to yield a hundredfold, and you're a seed that's going to yield thirtyfold. Seeds are going to yield different amounts of fruit. Jesus lays this out. But Jesus also lays out something that would have blown the people's minds. Because even in Matthew, so Luke says they bear a hundredfold. Matthew and Mark said 30, 60, 100. But even if you go with that smallest quantity, 30, the people's jaws would have dropped when they heard that. You know why? Because in that time, in that farming culture, the average yield for planted to what was harvested, for planted to what, for sown to what was reaped, the average yield was eight to one. A, a farmer would have been pleased with eight to one. If they got 10 to one, they would have been throwing a party. This is the greatest year we've ever had, 10 to one. Jesus says 30, Jesus says 60, Jesus says 100 fold. This is a harvest that would have blown the minds of the people listening because it would have been so far from what they were used to in their own farming. This is what Jesus says of seeds planted and rooted in good soil. And it's just such a, it's such a deep question that we need to be willing to ask ourselves, am I good soil? What does this look like? Is this something that appears throughout Scripture? Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the man, this is the Christian, the believer who is rooted deeply in God. That even in the year of drought, even when the heat comes, the things that kill the seeds in rocky soil, the things that kill the seeds in any other soil, this tree is not bothered because it is rooted deeply in good soil. John 15, 8, Jesus speaking, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Make no mistake, you are called to bear fruit. And I want to be clear here. Bearing fruit is not strictly reserved for converting. Right? Billy Graham had his crusades. These evangelists have their crusades. 100 people come to the altar, 200, 1,000 people. That is bearing fruit. But what does the Bible also say? Fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This is bearing fruit. So my question for you, church, in this year, we're going to keep talking about this year, but I also want you to think about your former years, your years ahead of you. I want you to think about your life. Are you a plant that bears fruit? If people look at your life, will they see fruit? Will they see goodness and patience and kindness and gentleness? Will they see love? Will they see peace? Will they see the fruit of the Spirit? If I look at your life, will I say, yeah, that person bears fruit. What kind of soil are you planted in? Because when the heat comes, when the drought comes, you react a lot differently than I do. What's the difference? The soil. The heart. 
surrendered to God, abiding in God? Are we a church that bears fruit? And part of fruit is going to be evangelism. Part of fruit is going to be taking the good news of God's kingdom to the lost. When's the last time you, you walked someone through the gospel? I mean, really. When is the last time you personally walked someone through the gospel? And I'm not saying there are some people, there's some people who go up to total strangers in the aisles of Lowe's and they say, hey, you know about Jesus? And they walk them through the gospel. If that's you, if that's how the Holy Spirit moves you, great. But when's the last time you had built a relationship with someone? Were you able to walk them through the gospel? I'm going to be honest. If you all are relying on James and I and Esther, we'll throw in the elders, I'll throw in the deacon. I mean, goodness, I'll throw in as many people as I can. If you're relying on 10 or 12 of us to do the work of evangelism for this church, we are going to fail so miserably. We're going to fail so miserably if the entire onus of telling people about Jesus is on a small percentage of this body. Until the American church takes a personal responsibility for sharing the gospel, until the American church takes a personal responsibility for going to the lost, we are going to fail. As long as we say that's the responsibility of that small percentage of people, we are going to fail in our mission. We are going to fail in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations if we say that that work should be done by three or four people while the rest of us sit back and watch. Church, when's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? We have to be sowers who are willing to sow onto rocky soil. We have to be sowers who are willing to sow onto thorny soil. We have to be sowers who are cultivating good soil and, and pouring into good soil. Earlier in, in Jesus' life, in his ministry, when he talked to his disciples, do you remember the sermon series about the woman at the well? And Jesus says to him, he says, do you not yet say, well, it's still four months until the harvest? No, look up, I tell you, the harvest is now. Jesus said to his disciples, do you not say, well, I didn't do the reaping. How could? He says, no, enter the harvest and do the sowing. Do the reaping. Jesus lays it out that we have no excuse. We are commanded to bear fruit. We ought to be good soil. So then what is, if all of this boils down to, here's what rocky soil looks like. Here's what thorny soil looks like. Here's what good soil looks like. Good soil looks like soil that bears fruit. And we ask ourselves, do I see fruit being born in my life? Does my life bear the fruit of the Spirit? Does my life bear the fruit of advancing the kingdom of God? Am I good soil? Well, what is required of good soil? And Jesus explains this. He lays out three things that are required of good soil. I want to read it again. He says, As for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast and honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Jesus lays out three requirements of good soil. In that word for, they are those who, in this sentence structure, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast. 
bearing it out. Every time that Jesus talks in the sentence, in the Greek language, he's using language structure that implies continuing action. There is no one and done. This is not, they heard the word once and they're done with it. This is no, they are continuing to hear the word and to engage in the word. This is not, they held it fast once and then they were, no, this is, they are continuing to hold it fast. They are continuing to apply it. They are continuing to be modeled or to be molded by it, not modeled, molded by it. They bear fruit. This isn't, I bore fruit once and I'm done. This is, they are continuing to bear fruit. The language Jesus uses is a continuing, constant action. So first, you have here, they heard. And this means understanding and believing. It's not just, I listened. It's, I understood and I believed. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This should be something that is a regular part of our lives. And I understand we go through seasons where we're busy. We go through seasons where we're stressed. I've told friends this before, and I love the conversations that I have with them later in follow-up. One of the most dangerous prayers that I've ever prayed is, God, teach me to crave you above all else. If you're not prepared to be turned upside down, don't pray that. But please pray that prayer. Because when I prayed, God, teach me to crave you above all else, all of a sudden it was the things that I used to like to waste my time on weren't as interesting. And I wanted more time with God. Hearing the word is not reserved for an hour on Sunday morning, not even an hour, 40 minutes on Sunday morning. That is not your weekly hearing of the word. You are not done with Scripture once you leave here. Hearing the Word, continuing constant engagement with the Word of God. And then Jesus says they hold fast to it. What does this phrase, hold fast to it, mean? With an honest mind. It means ongoing obedience. This phrase, they hold fast to the Word of God. It's ongoing obedience. It's every moment being conformed to the image of Christ of bringing our life to the Word of God. And if our life doesn't line up with the world of God, the Word of God, we change. We adjust ourselves to fit the Word of God, not the other way around. Not the other way around. This is what hold fast means. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, but he, Jesus, but Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Hear the word of God and keep it. James 1.22, my favorite verse. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. John 14, 21 through 24. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus can't get any, you can't get any more plain than that. I claim to love Jesus. Okay, do you see evidence of keeping his word? 
If I claim to love Jesus and there is no evidence that I am keeping his word, why would you take my declaration that I love Jesus seriously? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my words. If you do not keep my words, you don't really love me. Good soil are those who hear God's word, who engage with God's word constantly, consistently, regularly. And yes, we fluctuate. But this is something that drives us and shapes us. In hearing God's word, we don't just stop there. We are molded by it. We are shaped by it. We adapt our lives to it. If I'm doing something that is not in God's word, that is contrary to God's word, I don't hold on to that. This is good soil. And the third thing about good soil says it bears fruit with patience. I love that Jesus adds with patience because this is something that's going to take time. One of my best friends from college, I've been working on since freshman, we, we became friends freshman year of college. I don't believe in Jesus. Okay. Sophomore year of college, he didn't believe in Jesus. Junior year of college, didn't believe in Jesus. Senior year of college, didn't believe in Jesus. We're now, I can't count that. We're removed from college. At least four years? When did we graduate? I don't know. Eight years? Eight years? Oh my goodness, eight years? Eight years. We're now eight years removed from college. I talked to him a couple months ago. Still doesn't believe in Jesus. So at that point I said, okay, well, I'm just giving up. Because that's what Jesus tells me to do. He says, you've got a timeline. Once you, once you get to the end, just give up. No, Jesus says they bear fruit with patience. If you were here when Don Schaefer, who was here when Don Schaefer, the missionary from Japan, spoke? Really three people? Four or five? Okay, I didn't look at this half. This, this half, you guys got to step up. These people understand how to raise their hands, okay? Don Schaefer said something that was the most incredible. He, do you remember the story he shared about the woman whose husband finally came to Christ? Anybody remember this story? He shared about this woman whose husband finally came to Christ after she had prayed for 24 years. And what, was, what did she say when he came to Christ? I didn't expect God would answer my prayer so quickly. How beautiful is that? Bearing fruit with patience. James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, James is not saying that works earns you salvation. We will be very clear on that. Works does not get you into heaven. But James is saying, you can have dead faith. Jesus says, if you say you love me and you don't keep my words, do you really love me? Matthew 7, 16 to 20. Jesus speaking. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He's talking about people claiming to be Christians. He's talking about people claiming to be part of the church, claiming to be leaders of the people. He's talking about people who are declaring themselves, yeah, yeah, I'm with God. And Jesus says, look for their fruit. 
A diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. A good tree cannot bear diseased fruit. There's a very clear expectation throughout Scripture that Christians, that those who are good soil, will bear fruit. And so my question for you is, are you bearing fruit? Again, I'm not saying that every single one of you, yes, I, I brought 10 people to salvation in the last month. No, I mean, is that maybe part of it? Yeah. Evangelism, conversion, that's going to be part of bearing fruit. Fruit is also going to be loving those who don't love you, being patient with those who aren't patient with you, demonstrating peace to those who demonstrate nothing but animosity to you, demonstrating peace when the circumstances of life are against you. When everything seems to be going wrong, are you someone who crumbles? Or are you rooted deeply, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit of patience and peace, of joy, of gentleness? Are we a church comprised, and we are the church? This building is not the church. You all are the church. Are we a church that bears fruit? Are we a church of good soil? This is the parable that Jesus lays out for his disciples, for the crowds. It's, it's somber, it's sobering to think that the seed is going to be sown and it's going to land in rocky soil. I mean, that's, that's devastating. It's sobering to think that the seed is going to land and start to grow in thorny soil. It's, very, it's, it's emotionally... It's so hard to deal with when you see someone who you thought was a believer all of a sudden get choked out by the thorns of life. That, that's, that's a grief. That's a very real grief. But that doesn't stop us from sowing. Just because we don't know what is going to happen, that doesn't stop us from sowing. We don't get to say, well, I'm only going to sow the seeds in this one specific spot. The sower sowed widely. God did the growing. I want us to be a church that does that. I want to be someone who does that. That I'm not trying to figure out what the end result will be. That I'm merely being obedient to Jesus to be good soil. To hear His Word regularly, continually. Continuing to hear God's Word. That this is not just something I pull out when it's convenient. That God's Word defines my life and my actions. That my relationship with God defines who I am. It defines and it drives my day-to-day, moment-by-moment life. I want to be soil that hears God's Word continually. I want to be soil that doesn't just hear God's Word, but then holds fast to it. That obeys it, that follows it that does what it commands of me, even if it means I have to adjust my behavior or admit that I was wrong in the past. I don't want to be soil that starts to grow, but then is unwilling to leave behind the things of my former life. I don't want the thorns of this life to choke me out because I'm unwilling to let go of them. And then I want to be soil that bears fruit. Every day I pray, Lord, Crucify my flesh. Let me take up my cross today and follow Jesus. Teach me what that means. Teach me how to serve like he served. Teach me how to love like he loved. And that's my prayer for every one of us as well. I pray for this body daily. 
I mean daily, if you, if you listened in on my prayer in the morning, there is one sentence that is always the same. Lord, transform this body. Every day, Lord, transform this body. Light a fire in this body. Revolutionize the lives of these people. Radically remake us and shape us in the image of Christ so that we can be a church of good soil that bears fruit, that people can look at this body and say, wow, the world is just chaos. And that group of people who call themselves Community Bible Church, they look differently than we do. They behave differently than we do. What's up with that group of weirdos? that this life doesn't seem to drag them down like it does us. I want us to be a body that bears soil. This is what Jesus lays out, and he says, understanding this is essential. Mark 4.13, he says that understanding this parable as it relates to the kingdom of God is essential. And so this week, I want you to read the rest of Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God. You have Matthew 13, 24 to 53, and Mark 4, 21 to 34. You have the rest of Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God. We looked at the parable of the sower, which Jesus lays out as this is the parable. This parable of the sower is the one that teaches you how to understand the kingdom of God. So we spent this morning looking at this parable. So this week, look at the rest of the parables of the kingdom of God and ask yourself a very honest question. Is your life focused on the kingdom of God? Is your life driven by advancing the kingdom of God? I mean, is that what gives you purpose? To advance God's kingdom? As we look at these parables, these parables will look at how we relate to the world around us. They'll look at how we relate to one another. They'll look at what the kingdom of God does or is meant to do in our lives. So as we look at the parables of God's kingdom, ask Okay, if this is what God's kingdom is, and if this is what God's kingdom is about, is this what my life reflects? Does my life reflect the kingdom of God? And the prayer is simple. Lord, teach me to be good soil, and teach me to sow seeds widely. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us understanding. We thank you that you have given us your word and you've allowed us to engage with it and that we can understand it. Lord, there are going to be days, I confess there are days where I feel like rocky soil. I confess that there are days where I feel like soil with thorns. There are days that I allow the distractions of this world and the worries of this world to choke out what I know to be true and good. There are days where, where I am rocky soil, where I am thorny soil. Forgive me of those days. Strengthen me, because that's the beautiful thing about who you are, is you transform. So Lord, create in us good soil. Create in us hearts that crave time with you, that crave your word, that crave prayer. I mean, really, Lord, may that be the desire of our hearts is you. And in that, as we engage with you, may we be soil that holds fast, that allows roots to grow deep. May we bear fruit for your kingdom, not for us. 
I don't care if my name is remembered. I don't, I don't care if anybody's name here is remembered. We want your name to be known. It's not about us. It's never been about us. Lord, forgive me for when I do make it about me or I make it about these people. May we be soil that desires to grow and bear fruit for your glory and your name that advances your kingdom. May this be the prayer of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.